When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Blush. I'm your host, Heva, and it is the 95th episode of this podcast. That means five more to go to 100. Well, technically four more to go to 100 because the fifth one is 100, right? Is that how that works? Who knows? Uh, I mean, like, yes, that is literally how that goes. Have you ever noticed how like addition and subtraction is different when we're talking about ages and time. And, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm starting to realize that it sounds like I like dropped acid before I started recording. (laughs) Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Because it doesn't sound like it makes sense. It's like, okay, like for example, I have a really hard time with time zone math. No, this isn't getting worse. I'm just digging myself into a hole that I don't know I can come out of. Like, I'm really trying to calculate my losses. Like, should I just start over? Like, we're only like a minute in. Should I just start over? Or should I just drop this and move on to normal things to talk about? Or do I double down on this concept that as I'm saying it, I recognize makes no sense. But like, this is what I struggle with. It's like, three hours from now, like let's say it's 1 p.m., then three hours from now is 4 p.m. Okay, no, that makes perfect sense. So that does not work. Um, I don't know. I just, oof, I don't know. I really probably should scrap this and re-record. I just feel like there are certain situations where addition and subtraction isn't as straightforward. Like you have to add a year. Like if, okay, if something happened four years ago, no, that's 2018. Okay, I really can't think of an example. This makes literally no sense. If anyone even a little bit knows what I'm talking about, hit me up so we can talk about this. I don't know why I can't think of an example, but I swear there are some situations where because of the context of what you're talking about, I think it's often with time, um, it's not as straightforward as simple addition and subtraction. Okay, let's just let's just go ahead and pretend that didn't happen and I will transition to something else. Oh, here's something else that's weird. It's really not going to redeem me for the last thing I said, but I'm curious. So I got out of the shower today and I was laying in bed, you know, as I like to do. I always find the shower to be just an activity that I need like a little rest after. So I like to lay in bed for a bit. I put on my red light therapy mask, um, just like the face thing, the Dr. Dennis Gross thing, 
Don't know if it works. Really couldn't tell you. I do it. I do it pretty regularly. Now, my boyfriend, Ozzy, also, if it's your first time listening, like, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, there's there tends to be value in the episodes at in the latter half of the episode, the beginning is just like, like a crazy person is handed a mic and they're just like, just word vomiting every weird thought that they've had in their entire lives. So stick around, it gets better. Um, my boyfriend is not named Ozzy. We just call him Ozzy on the podcast. He's Australian. Anyway, so Ozzy likes to use the Dr. Dennis Gross um, mask also, and he thinks that he can tell a difference in his wrinkles. Now, I don't have as many wrinkles, not to brag, because... <laughs> Anyway, moving right along. I will say, though, the other day I went to buy like a vape cartridge. Um, I am not vaping nicotine anymore. If it's your first time listening, I was vaping nicotine for a while and I quit a few months ago and I've never felt better. So use it as your sign to quit vaping nicotine. And I had a very easy time quitting, actually. But you know what it is? I think it's because I was emotionally ready to be done with it. Anyway, I was buying like... um, not CBD cartridges. What was I buying? I was buying like other cannabinoids. Like there are other cannabinoids other than CBD and THC that you can buy legally. And you might get like a slight high from them, but not like a full high. Anyway, so I'm like buying cartridges. It was after having this super traumatic day at the dentist, which I'll get back to. And the store attendant was like, as I'm about to check out, he goes, wait, 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 are you over 21? And I was like, oh, oh my God, thank you so much. Like I'm being so dramatically over the top. Didn't even answer his question. I'm just like so grateful. And I was like, and then finally I'm like, oh yeah, no, I'm 34. But like literally you just made my day. And I've told everyone, truly everyone. I mean, I ran home. I told my boyfriend, I texted all of my best friends and I'm now announcing it on the podcast because that's how proud I am of that trend. And that tells you something about how we treat women in this society as they age, <laughs> because there's nothing inherently valuable about being young. You're dumber when you're young. You progressively get smarter as you get older. So the fact that I value someone thinking I look young clearly only means that you know, society values women that look young. But anyway, how did we get here? Oh, okay. So I'm laying in bed today and I have my red light therapy mask on. And I was like, mm, I should clean out the inside of my belly button. Now I have an any belly button and, <laughs> and this is the information that everyone came to the podcast for, I'm sure. And you know what? Growing up, I always wished I had an Audi belly button. And it's funny because I talk to people who have Audis. Like I don't meet a ton of them. It also sounds like I'm saying Audi, like the, the car out but like I don't I don't know English is my third language anyway moving right along um and you know when I meet people who have Audis they say that like they're traumatized by it like they were so embarrassed by it growing up but I don't know like maybe there was just a cute girl in my grade who had an Audi and I was like well this is what it means to be attractive but that look where it's like maybe not all the way extended outside but like it's like a flips out and it's like right at the edge. I think it's a vibe and like Emrata has it. And but the thing is, I also hear people say about Emrata that her belly button is quote unquote weird where I'm like her belly button is goals. So 
how did we get here? Oh, okay. So sometimes I like to clean out the inside of my belly button. It happens very, very rarely. And so I kind of just like squeeze it so that the inside can flip out a little bit. It's very hard to do. And then I see if there's like any dirt in the crevices. Is this so disgusting? I can't decide. I mean, it's, it's, we started the episode with me saying <laughs> the most nonsensical thing humanly imaginable. So it can really only go up from there. Right. Right. I don't know. <laughs> um, so yeah. And then I see if there's like any dirt that was stuck in the crevices. That's why I like to flip it so that the crevices are nice and stretched out and I can see if there's any dirt in there. <laughs> and so I'll scrape it out. And I always notice this every single time I do this again, it's not that frequently, but you know, she's lived 34 years. So it's happened quite a few times now. When I touch the inside of my belly button, I can feel a tingle in my vagina. And so this is what I want to know to the listeners who have vaginas. Do you feel that too? <laughs> and if you're like, I just don't touch the inside of my belly button, can you do me a favor and go touch the inside? And I want to get like the, the, the center, right? The nucleus of the inside of your belly button, like the, um, What's the word for like the center of the circle? I think it's just the center of the circle, right? It's just the center. Is that, is that the word? I swear I like really did not consume any substances before recording today. Anyway, I want you to, I want you to touch the deepest part of the inside of your belly button and let me know if you feel it in your vagina because I swear it's a thing. I can't explain it. On that note, I just want to share this because like, you know, this is a belly button podcast after all. Um, animals don't have visible belly buttons. And I looked it up one time. Now, the reason I looked it up is because I was on the phone with my mom and I made a joke about my dog wearing a crop top. Now, we don't have like a specific word for crop top in Farsi. Um, again, if it's your first time listening, uh, I'm Iranian and I speak Farsi with my parents, also called Persian. And so we don't have a word for that. You know, it's kind of like a puritanical culture, <laughs> but, um, but like the word that we kind of colloquially use is like a belly button exposing shirt. And so I made a joke about my dog wearing that. And my mom goes, wait, does she have a belly button? And I was like, huh, that's a really good question. I don't recall seeing a belly button on her. And so we're both investigating our respective dogs and don't find a belly button. And then we're like, wait, but like they must have had an umbilical cord, right? Like, isn't that just like a, a basic requirement of being a mammal, right? I mean, mammals have mammary glands. They, uh, you know, house the offsprings inside of their uteri, uteruses. I don't know what the plural of uterus is. And, um, you know, for the fetus to be inside of a uterus, it must be getting food via an umbilical cord, right? I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I think that's how it works. So we start doing some Googling and apparently, yes, all mammals do have umbilical cords. As I suspected, it is kind of a basic tenant of being a mammal. And they don't, but like, unlike humans, when the baby is born and the umbilical cord is cut, they don't leave a scar. And apparently it's because the mother 
bites the umbilical cord herself, which reminds me of something that Dwight Trude's character said in The Office once. Can't remember. I believe, I can't remember what episode it was, but he was describing his own birth. And um, he said something about <laughs> biting off his own umbilical cord. God, what a character. Honestly, that is in my TV racks of the week. If you don't watch The Office or if you didn't watch The Office, like just watch The Office. Like what's holding you back? It's good. There's social proof there, you know? People tend to like it. Anyway, um... So apparently it's because the mother bites off the umbilical cord and cleans it up that it just doesn't leave a scar. I believe that's what the article said. I could be misremembering it. You know, I mean, five minutes ago, I said something about how if you subtract time, it doesn't work. And that seems to not be true. So, okay, you know what it is? I think it's like time zones, right? Like, so California is four hours ahead, but there are only like three hours ahead. No, it still makes no sense. I just, I really should just let this go. Like the fact that I didn't just re-record then we're too far in now. I mean, there's really good, valuable information about umbilical cords that frankly could be wrong, like definitely fact check, but that's how I remember it. Anyway, um, so if you're wondering why your pets don't have uh, belly buttons, that's why. And I guess like humans just fuck everything up. But like we can't do anything, right? And um, if you touch the inside of your, your belly button and you feel tingles in your vagina, please DM me because this is information that I need to know. Moving right along. Okay, so a few weeks ago, maybe like a couple, no, it was a few months ago. Doesn't matter. Not relevant to the story. I was out with my dog. Samantha and this man passed us with his own dog and he starts chatting with us and this was actually while my dog was in her strict rest period where she wasn't allowed to walk yada yada and so we had uh, Ozzy and I had carried Samantha outside and so he was kind of like oh yeah what's going on with your dog blah 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 so we're talking about dogs we're talking about dog mortality his dog is also very old and then he said probably the craziest thing I've ever heard. And that's saying a lot because I hear a lot of crazy shit and I say a lot of crazy shit, but I think this probably took the cake. He said that he is getting his dog cloned. I'm pausing so that you can digest the information that I just said to you. Now, I didn't know that we are at the stage with cloning where it's available for like consumer use. Like I thought it was still like, you know, in science labs. I didn't think that it's just like a service that you can purchase, but apparently we're here. And he was like, yeah, you know, only dog people understand. <laughs> and Ozzy and I are just sitting there, like, not making eye contact with each other, like, just, like, just stone face, like, trying to not react. And I was like, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if that, my friend, if that. <laughs> and he just goes on and on about how he is getting his dog cloned. And I don't really know what to say about this. Now, the reason I thought about it is because I ran into this guy again a few days ago and I was like, I was looking at him and his dog and I was like, fuck, these people are familiar to me. And I was like, I think we've met before. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah I think we have too. And I was like, oh, that's right. Are you the guy who's getting your dog cloned? <laughs> Just no bullshit. And he's like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, 
yeah, that's me. He doesn't seem to think it's weird. Like he clearly thinks that non-dog people think it's weird. But it's like he the way he talked about it is like as though his dog was wearing a sweater or something. And he's like, only other dog people get it. In which case I would have been like, yeah, no, I know. Like they get cold sometimes, right? But like you're getting your dog cloned. How much does that cost? How much do you think this costs? Like I want to know what people's hypotheses are. Because here's what I think. A, there is no universe in which it's less than five digits, right? There's, I mean, it's beyond the realm of comprehension. Like Botox is four digits, I believe. Like it's not like there is no way that it's less than five digits, but I kind of think it might be six digits. I honestly think it might be six digits. Now, here's the thing. I'm not very judgmental about how people spend their money. Like, I really am not. Like, it's it's your hard-earned money, or even if it's not hard-earned, even if you inherited it, even if someone gifted it to you, uh, even if you're living off, whatever it is, however you're getting your money, so long as you're not stealing it from people, so long as it's ethically coming to you, so long as, you know, you're not putting a gun to someone's head and taking it, like, so long as it's rightfully yours, spend it however the fuck you want. Jeff Bezos spends $5.5 billion to be in space for four minutes. No problem. Could we have saved 37.5 million people from starving with that money? Of course. Is that a problem for me? No. Enjoy your four minutes in space, Bezos. Could we have planted five billion, billion with a B trees with that money? We sure fucking could have. Do I have a problem with it? No, Bezos. Have fun in space for four fucking minutes, you asshole. Like, truly, people can do whatever the fuck they want with their money. Now, in this scenario, I really had to dig deep and be like, okay, Hiva, why does it bother you so much that this man has potentially spent hundreds of thousands of dollars? I really don't know how much it cost. I'm just guessing. I, I'd like to set up like a like a betting pool. I clearly am not a gambling person because <laughs> I called it a betting pool, like some kind of fucking noob, um, whatever it's called. I mean, let, let's take some bets on this because... I don't know. My money would be on it being six digits minimum, if not seven. Honestly, I didn't think this technology was available for consumer use. So it's got to be fucking expensive, right? It's got to be like a computer in the 80s type situation where it would take up an entire room and it costs like millions of dollars. It's got to be, right? Anyway, I did run into him a few days ago. He said they've had a couple of false starts, but that he's not upset because he doesn't really want the reincarnation of his dog until his current dog is dead. And I was like, yeah, no shit. Wasn't that the whole fucking point of this stupid endeavor that you're getting into? And I just want to point out this man is not young. Like the reincarnation of his current dog might outlive him. And also my dog is like truly, I think, an angel on the face of this planet. Like, she is everything that I wish I was. She's athletic. She's kind. She's social. She's fun to be around. She's funny. I mean, she is the better version of me. Her bowels run constantly. I mean, that chick is diarrhea prone. (laughs) Like, she does not have my constipation problems, and I'm jealous of it every fucking day. 
But I would never clone her because there are other dogs, there are other magical beings. And isn't the point of life to get to know as many of them as possible? Like when something exits, why would you try to recreate that exact thing, right? Like if you go through a breakup, I know it's sometimes tempting to want to find someone who's exactly like your ex. Trust me, I've done it. I dated a tall Asian guy. Guess who the next guy I kissed again was? a tall Asian guy. I mean, that's kind of fucking specific, right? I had a little thing with an Indian guy. I matched, I swiped right on a bunch of fucking Indian dudes after that. After the comedian and I broke up, guess what I was going for? Dorky Jewish guys. (laughs) Like, I've done it. I've been there. I get it. But the thing is, isn't it like so much better? Like you get out of a relationship and you're like, wow, I have a completely blank slate to go after like any type of guy that I want now, like there is, or, or girl or person, whatever, but it's a completely blank slate. Like you can have anything. So like, you know, he has this small dog with certain personality traits, like maybe after Samantha passes, oh God bless her soul. Like, and I get another dog eventually, although I don't think I will get another dog for a very long time after Samantha passes. But that's really mainly because I want to travel a lot when Samantha passes. And I also want to be like six months in Australia and six months here. And that's pretty much impossible to do with a dog. So I won't be getting a dog for a while, but I'm saying like, hypothetically, if I were to, I wouldn't just be like, let me find an exact Samantha again. I'd probably be like, let me find a dog that doesn't get diarrhea constantly and who doesn't have spine problems and autoimmune issues, because that would be a nice change of pace. Like, isn't that just the point of life? Like it's not the money that he's spending on the cloning that I have an issue with again. Cause like, I, I think people should spend their money. However, they personally see fit. It's, I think I just am so ethically opposed to what he's doing. And does that make me sound a little bit like concerned? I don't, I just think there's such good uses for cloning, right? Isn't there like stem cell research and other things? Is this the episode where I'm exposing myself as just like a highly, highly unintelligent person? I don't know. But I'm sure there's like really good scientific uses for cloning, but I don't think like your inability to say goodbye is one of those good uses. Okay, moving right along. Um, Last episode, I talked about a Mormon that I was seeing and I got a lot of DMs about this and it's often shocking to me the type of material that you guys really resonate with. And I got a lot of questions about this. No, we did not quote unquote soak. Now, if you don't know what soaking is, you're in for a treat, my friends. Apparently, this is something that the Mormon youths do. They will put a P in a V and not move. Now, I think soaking is just an absolutely fascinating term for this. And you know what I really, really like about it? It very strongly implies (laughs) that the vaginal canal is super, super, super moist, right? I mean, the penis is just soaking. It's marinating in vaginal fluid. And what I really like about this is I think a lot of our early sexual experiences have been situations in, you know, a hetero situation where 
the chick isn't that into it and the guy is like super into it. And, you know, a lot of us have probably experienced sex where we really weren't that wet because there wasn't adequate foreplay because the media portrays sex as like people kiss for like 13 seconds and then the P enters the V and then everyone just orgasms like four and a half seconds after that with like really barely anything happening, right? And so when we embark upon our early sexual encounters, we don't really know about the importance of foreplay and like being adequately lubricated. However, the Mormons, (laughs) the Mormons are a few steps ahead of ours. Their vaginas are wet and ready to go. They have literal wet ass pussies. I mean, (laughs) Cardi B could never. Anyway, um, so yeah, no, we did not do that. Oh, and I've also heard that sometimes they will have their friends be around the bed and like shake the bed to give the bed movement, which is just fascinating because they're basically having group sex at that point. I mean, that's literally kinkier than anything I've ever done. And Yeah, I haven't done anything like that kinky, but like I've done a little bit of experimentation. I'm not like a super prude. Um, So yeah, we did none of that. Um, He did often come in his pants though (laughs) for making out, which like he would, yeah, just like ejaculate inside his Mormon underwear. So that's fun for everyone. Um, And I did give him a blowjob once. I think I mentioned that last episode. I can't remember, but again, he came exceptionally quickly as he would. I mean, the thing that I don't understand, and I really don't want to be insulting to anyone's religion, like, please believe whatever you want, but I will never understand why, like, if religion wants people to not have sex, like, then emphasize masturbation, right? I mean, I barely have sex. I mean, you know, now I'm in a relationship, but like before this relationship, I barely had sex because I was always just masturbating. Like it's the answer. It's the way you get kids to not have sex, but to tell them that they can't masturbate or have sex, that's just not going to work period, end of story. So pick one of the two. I think we should lean hard into the masturbation because sex comes with a lot of risks like pregnancy, STDs, and the most important risk of all doing something that you're not actually ready and prepared to do and the emotional effect that that has on you, the trauma that that can cause for you. That's shit that we don't talk about enough. So I think we need to just hand out vibrators, hand out flashlights and talk about the emotional effect. Because guess what? Kids aren't fucking idiots. When you try to tell them that if they take a hit of marijuana, they'll end up like homeless on the street as drug addicts. And then they go take a hit of marijuana and they realize that that's actually not the case. And so then they're like, well, what else did they lie to us about? Go ahead, pass me the fentanyl-laced heroin. That's a problem. And when we tell them that like every single time they have sex, they're going to get an STD and they're going to get pregnant. And one of those kids is going to be smart enough to be like, wait, but I'm pretty sure I only ovulate once a month. So that doesn't really track. So clearly you're lying. So maybe I should just go ahead and fuck everyone I see. That's also going to be a problem. But if we're just honest with those kids and say like, yeah, pot is actually a really low risk drug, but there is a very real situation of like, do you really want to be high all the time? And like, there is a thing called numbing and like not facing your problems head on, yada, yada, becoming dependent on being in an altered state of mind to be able to get through life, yada, yada. 
that's real. That's actually treating kids like real human beings who can face things. And <laughs> if we just tell them, listen, you can only really get pregnant for like technically one day a month, but like, let's just up it to a week to be safe because you don't really know when you're ovulating. And like, yes, TDs happen. A lot of them are curable. Apparently everyone's had chlamydia. I feel low-key left out. Like <laughs> I didn't know that it's like such a prevalent thing. Um, and you know, a lot of them are fine. And like AIDS really isn't all that it was cracked out to be in the eighties. And yeah, and there are plenty of ways to be safe about it. But every single time that you're having sex, you're opening up your body to someone, you're having like this energetic exchange and you could kind of feel like shit afterwards, especially if you're just, you know, having sex with someone just to do it. Um, anyway, I'm not going to keep talking about this. I want to talk about something very important before I move on to the actual topics of the day, because this is a really timely topic and we won't spend that long on it, but we have to talk about Don't Worry Darling because it's honestly like one of my favorite things that has ever happened ever, like in my entire life ever. So if you're not familiar, Olivia Wilde directed a movie called Don't Worry Darling and um, Harry Styles stars in it. It was originally supposed to be Shia LaBeouf, but he left the project and it's very contentious as to how he left, but that's neither here nor there. And then Harry Styles came in. I believe Harry and Olivia met on set and started dating. Florence Pugh is also a lead in it. Now, if you followed this shit last week at all, it was like truly one of my personal favorite things that's ever happened. Um, at the Venice Film Festival, I've never seen a group of people look less comfortable together. Like housewives at their reunions with Andy Cohen all seem to like each other more than the cast of Don't Worry Darling seem to get along at the Venice Film Festival. I've never seen so much tension. I mean, what I wouldn't give the money that I would pay to find out what the fuck happened. Now, I've heard rumors that Florence Pugh was really annoyed that Olivia Wilde was like, age cheating on Jason Sudeikis with Harry Styles. Although Olivia Wilde's team vehemently denies this and has traced this whole other um, timeline where they say that her and Sudeikis had already split. But sources say that Jason Sudeikis and their shared children would visit her on set in the beginning of the movie. And she was like fucking Harry Styles and it put the entire cast in this very awkward position of having to kind of like lie for Olivia Wilde. Now, allegedly, 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 we don't know if any of this is true. Sources say, you know, I don't know who the fuck sources are. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, what we do know is what we all saw with our own very eyes. Now, do I think Harry Styles spit on Chris Pine? Absolutely not. By the way, can we talk about what a snack Chris Pine is? Who the fuck is he? I didn't even know Chris Pine existed before this. But I mean, I also, you know, clearly know very little about actors. So that doesn't really mean a whole lot. But um, but yeah, he's like super hot, like super hot. He seems very tall. I would definitely fuck him if I was single. Anyway, um, I don't think Harry Styles spit on him. I actually, someone very, very, very close to me has met him because the person close to me is very close with someone on Harry Styles' team. And so, like, I know very firsthand that he's actually a very nice guy. And also, like, people are not, like, 
wildebeests. Like, we don't run around spitting on each other in public when there's cameras on us. Like, I don't know. I've never spit on anyone. I The concept of spit actually kind of grosses me out a little bit. Um, I just don't, although I have spit on the street before, not on purpose, but like, it just the saliva got out of hand. You know, it, it, there was a situation going on. I can't remember what it was, but I had to spit one time. I did not like it. It was not very ladylike. But if men are going to spit all the time, then I feel like I have the right to spit also. Okay, I really need to move on. But this is what I want to talk about. Why were Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles completely ignoring each other the entire time? What was that? Uh, so I, listen, I think there are different hypotheses around this. One is that like they quote unquote don't want to make the movie about their relationship, yada, yada. But like we know they're dating, so they're allowed to like take a fucking photo together on the red carpet. They don't need like a buffer of three people between them. They're allowed to make eye contact once in a while. So that seems off to me. There's hypotheses that maybe they broke up, which like, oh, how rough if you like freshly break up with someone and then have to go on a press tour with them, like uh, sending both of them a lot of love if that is the case. And there's a third hypothesis, uh, like a third credible one. I've heard a lot of like wacko things that I'm not going to repeat that maybe they were just in a fight, which if they're in a fight, I have to say what was going on there is called stonewalling. And it's like low key, one of the most toxic things that you can do, just like straight ignoring someone if you're in a fight together. Now, I understand that some people need space in a fight. That's a very real thing. But you know how you handle that? You communicate that you need space. You don't just ignore someone like that is it's it's so fucked up it causes so much psychological damage so that's why I just wanted to address it real quick okay just gonna do tv recommendations of the week and then we'll, we will get into the actual topic of the week um number one in honor of Queen Elizabeth who passed away if you have not seen The Prince, and I feel so fucked up for recommending this, it is so fucking funny. Um, I believe it was not renewed for a season two, which is just an epic bummer, but I kind of understand because it was so savage and it just went into every single person in the royal family, but it was so funny. And honestly, I think everyone was portrayed really, really poorly, but I kind of think Queen Elizabeth may have gotten like one of the best edits. I don't know. It's so funny though. It's an animated series. Um, it's by the guys who made uh Family Guy. Is that what the show is called with the kid, the baby Stewie? Yeah, Family Guy, right? Yeah, it's by the same dudes. You'll you'll be able to tell the style, but it's it is it's so funny. It's honestly so funny. Um and Ozzy and I have been watching a show called Echoes on Netflix. It's not good. <laughs> That's really all I have to say about that. It's It seems like it would be good. I mean, the title is excellent, right? It could be about so many things and all of them sound intriguing. Uh, the premise is these twins. In fact, I don't want to say a whole lot about the premise. And what I will say is like, don't read the risk, the description on Netflix if you do plan to watch it because it kind of gives away something that I think is a little bit more fun to find out in real time. But it's about these twins and one of the twins goes missing. 
Um, that's all I'm going to say. I mean, it seems suspenseful. It seems exciting. It seems interesting. Now, I should have known that it wasn't going to be good because Matt Bomer is one of the leads. And before like you get mad at me, I'm going to say two things. Number one, yes, Matt Bomer is extremely attractive and that's very good for him. Number two, I know he was in that movie, uh, that series. God, what the fuck was it called? That stupid series he was in. I can't remember. I'm going to have to look it up. Matt Bomer. Matt Bomer, Matt Bomer, what show were you in? Everyone fucking loved it. Why can't I find it? Okay, IMDb, Matt Bomer. He is unbelievably attractive. White collar. Yes, I understand that Matt Bomer was in White Collar. And this is all I have to say about this. White Collar was good in terms of like a guilty pleasure, but let's all be honest with ourselves. White Collar is not that fucking good. Like it's not like a good show. Like it's entertaining to watch type of good, but it's not good like Breaking Bad good. It's not good like Game of Thrones before the last season good. It's not good like The Leftovers. Like, you know what I mean? Like premium TV good. It's like cheesy he's good looking and things are engaging kind of good and um what's her face Kelly Kapowski from Save by the Bell is in it kind of good but like it's not good good like let's all be honest with ourselves so that's exactly what Echoes is serving to us it's it's it should be good the premise sounds like it would be good but it's like pretty fucking awful like the acting is bad the writing is bad it's just not that good but we're watching it so <laughs> there's that and the third and I I really am going to try to not talk about this franchise anymore. I watched Below Deck Sailing season two, and it is the most I've ever cared about anything. Like the relationships between the crew, season two of Sailing Yacht, holy fuck. Like I cared more about their relationships than I honestly care about my own relationships. Like if Ozzy had been like, hey, I'm leaving you, I would have been like, cool, cool, cool. I need to know what's about to happen between Gary and Allie. Like, that's really all I care about. I dreamt about them this past week. They would flash in my mind while I was meditating. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say how fucking invested I was in these people. It is so fucking good. <laughs> I'm briefly interrupting this podcast to talk about my favorite supplement out there, the best probiotic on the market, Seed. Now, Seed is the only probiotic that is patented, formulated to actually survive the tract into your gut. It is the probiotic that I take every fucking day. It's the probiotic that I make Ozzy take. It's the probiotic that keeps my skin clear. When I don't take it for a few days, I notice a difference. It's the probiotic that's helped my digestion. It is patented. It's so good. It's good for everything. The company is environmentally friendly. Like you'd really, you just would be doing yourself a disservice by not taking seed probiotic. I'm 
honestly not fucking with you. I actually really take it and I actually really fucking love it. So take it, use code blush15 to get 15% off. That's B-L-U-S-H-1-5. Help yourself, help the planet, help the podcast, help everyone order seed. Thanks. Okay, on to our actual topic of the day. I want to talk about why all your relationships seem to fail and what you can do about it. So I think there are seven potential reasons why this might happen. All seven have applied to me at various points in my life. Seven is also my favorite number, so I think this is really fitting, but I didn't aim to come up with seven. I just came up with all the possible reasons that I could think of and via research that I had done that seemed appropriate and it just happened to be seven, but like, what could be better than that? Also, is seven also your favorite number? Because I feel like it's a very popular favorite number. I remember when my boyfriend and I were first seeing each other and he said seven was his favorite number. And I was like, oh my God, me too. Like, hashtag synchronicity, hashtag we're soulmates, like, hashtag please love me, you know, whatever. And he's like, yeah, bitch, like seven's everyone's favorite number. I'm like, simmer down. <laughs> That's also really not how the exchange went. I just have to say, because sometimes people don't know when I'm joking. Okay, reason number one, you pick the wrong people. And by that, I mean you maybe pick emotionally unavailable people. You maybe pick people that other people in your life would want you with. For example, someone that your parents would approve of, but you don't actually want to be with. You pick someone that society deems appropriate. Like I have a friend who just couldn't really seem to make any of her relationships with guys work. And then eventually she realized it's because she's gay. And she just, she was like not even a little bit aware of it. Now I'm not saying if all of your relationships are failing, you're definitely gay. I'm just saying like there are a lot of societal expectations on us to date certain types of people. So like number one, that would be heteronormativity. Number two, like, I don't know, people have like certain types of jobs or whatever. You know, you, you live in the same society as me. I'm not going to break that down for you. Um, another type of wrong person, like someone who's chronically unfaithful, uh, narcissistic people. This is very common with codependency. Now, the reason that we pick wrong people is we pick people based on our own unresolved trauma and our brains really prefer familiarity even if it's uncomfortable. So like our brain will always choose familiar pain over unfamiliar happiness. And the way that you would go about fixing this is figure out what your wounds are and address those wounds. So for example, if you're chronically picking emotionally unavailable partners, then maybe you're emotionally unavailable yourself. Maybe your parents weren't attuned to your emotional needs. Maybe your parents were too present and you had no independence and now you're filling that void with someone who actually gives you too much independence. Whatever the underlying cause is, you need to figure it out and then address that underlying cause. Or for example, if you're picking partners who are unfaithful over and over again. Maybe you witnessed infidelity growing up. Maybe you're constantly breaking promises to yourself. Maybe you were cheated on at a very young age. And so now you're just constantly unconsciously recreating that pattern again, because your brain is like, well, this is what I know. So I'm just going to stick with what I know because like, who the fuck knows 
how much worse it could be with shit. I don't know. It's just the way our brains are. So the way that you would address that is figure out where the wound comes from and address that wound. Okay. Uh, reason number two, you yourself are not emotionally available. And this is a harder one. Like it's a harder one to see, especially if you're like for some people, they're like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm not emotionally available for other people. It's hard to see because it like a lot of times there are people who actually really, really do want relationships and like really want love and yada, yada but are themselves very emotionally unavailable. So sometimes it's kind of like sneaky and hard to see. So some of the signs that I would look out for are finding like little inconsequential reasons to write people off. I have a really good example of this. I have been on dates with guys who I thought were really great. And I'm like, I'm not going to go out with him again because he's not into fish. I mean, fish, I mean, PH fish, the band, not seafood. I am vegan. Um, but like, that's a really fucking stupid reason to not go out with people anymore. Uh, and like, it was like the dumbest thing that I was clinging onto for the longest time. And I also haven't seen fish since like right before the pandemic and I'm totally fine. And I'm now dating someone who's not into fish, but like him not being into fish isn't why I haven't seen fish. I just like during, during lockdown, I was kind of like, uh, I'm just not in the mood to go places that are that crowded ever again. And it's not like for fear of COVID or anything like that. I just really, I had all this time and I was like, I don't miss it. Like, I don't miss being in crowds that large. I don't miss the constant fear of someone elbowing me in the face, which happens when you're fucking short. Do you know how annoying that shit is? Like, I just don't miss it. So yeah, I haven't seen fish since then, but like, I would find like these dumb reasons to write guys off. Uh, Another sign is you can't communicate your needs. You can't accept help from people. You avoid conversations that go deep. You have a difficult time being vulnerable. You don't know what you want. You're inflexible. Another example of this would be like when I was dating, when I actually like really deep down wasn't emotionally available, I was very inflexible with time like very in fact, like there was like a very limited window in which I was willing to accept dates. And beyond that, I'd be like 8 PM. Nope. That's way too late for me. And like a lot of people work till later, you know, <laughs> um, another possible sign you withhold your true opinions and thoughts. You're distrustful, but you don't necessarily voice it. You're only attracted to unavailable people. So like, look at the people you're attracted to. Are they often like people who are geographically far away in committed relationships? Like when they're unavailable, you're super attracted. But when someone's like there and super available, you're like, "Uh, I don't know about this person. I used to do that shit all the fucking time. Um, Maybe you have perfectionist tendencies. I had like the most extreme perfectionist tendencies. And it's so funny in this past week, I believe I realized how far I've come on this, not to brag, Um, but um, I put like a free attachment styles ebook on my website. And literally I did not proofread it once before I put it up. And I was talking about it with some of my friends and I was like, how wild, like I used to proofread things like 13.5 thousand times before I do anything with them. I mean, I'm a fucking lawyer. My entire career was based on like hyper proofreading things. 
And I literally didn't proofread it. And I was like, if there are mistakes, someone else will find them and will point them out to me and I will then correct them. Like I was literally outsourcing proofreading. And then like after having this extended conversation, I was like, wait, I should actually proofread it once. And I ran through it and there were so many mistakes. Like there was one that just completely changed the entire meaning of what I said. There was one where I forgot to take out the placeholder text and so it was like, insert like a quote that your audience might think is attractive or something like real fucked up like that. And if I had done shit like that a couple years ago, I would have absolutely fucking lost my mind. But instead I was like, meh, whatever. Only like 20 to 50 people have downloaded it. And while we're at it, if you are one of those 20 to 50 people who got the ebook where there's like random placeholder text and a bunch of fucking mistakes. There is a new version up now. So go download it again. So you will get the right version this time. But yeah, people with perfectionist tendencies often like are like perfectionist tendencies often like in the romantic setting are not that emotionally available because they want perfection out of their partners. And that's not like demanding perfection isn't realistic and it often points to emotional unavailability. Now, when I was in the depths of my eating disorder, I was extremely emotionally unavailable, but I had zero awareness of it because I just thought to myself like, oh my God, I definitely want a relationship. Like there's nothing more that I want than to be in love, yada, yada, yada. But I was not available at all. Like my entire priority, my entire fixation, my life's work was my eating disorder. So sometimes it's not super obvious to you, but like look through those signs and see if there's any that you resonate with. I even remember someone once being like, Heva, why won't you go out with this guy at 8 p.m.? And I was like, it's just too late, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, um, you know, you say you want a relationship, but it doesn't really sound like you're making space for getting to know people at all. So sometimes like we're emotionally unavailable without even realizing it. Now, if any of this resonates with you, the remedy would be <laughs> figuring out what's making you emotionally unavailable and address that. Now, it could be like fear of getting hurt. That's super, super common. It could be like an addiction or other mental health issues, something like my eating disorder. Um, it could be not having good role models of healthy relationships. It could be codependency, which is really fucking counterintuitive. But the thing is, you can't be emotionally unavailable. Unav you can't be emotionally available if your entire focus is on pleasing other people. It could be like a history of cheating, like either you've been cheated on or you've witnessed other people cheating on other people. It could be any number of things, but you have to figure out what it is that's making you emotionally unavailable and address that underlying wound. The third reason why all your relationships seem to fail, you put too much weight on your romantic life. Some signs of this, you will drop everything for the person that you're dating, you mold your personality to theirs. You can't think about anything other than the person that you're into at the given moment. Your friendships seem to suffer. You think things like, oh, when I have a partner, I'll do X, Y, Z, or when I have a partner, I'll be happy. You constantly talk about the people that you're dating. 
you can't focus at work, school, whatever it else, whatever it is that you do with your days because you're constantly thinking about like whether they're thinking about you or missing you or when they're going to call you or text you or if they're into you or whatever. You do other things only because you think it'll help your romantic life. For example, you exercise only to look good for the person that you're dating. You buy clothes to look good for the person that you're dating. You read books or watch shows or whatever to talk about them with the person that you're dating. Now, when I was dating the comedian, I literally did every single one of these things. Like I would order so much shit on Revolve to just like try to look cute when I came up to New York to see him. I cared about my career mainly so that I would be like in this really good, stable, cool place in my career to brag to him. Even like it had seeped into like my spirituality. A lot of my spirituality wasn't even for me anymore. It was for the image that I was cultivating of myself for him. I, you know, I was already really into fish. Again, the band, not the seafood I was vegan at the time also, but I feel like I ramped it up 20 notches for him. I, I remember one time I baked these like date pistachio bars, not because I wanted to eat date pistachio bars, but because him and I had had a conversation about like dates and pistachios. And so I wanted to like text a photo of them and send them to him. Like I embarked upon an entire fucking baking journey (laughs) just for him. And he wasn't even there. He wasn't even there. Like that is like when you're doing other, like it's, you know, at the time I would have looked at it and been like, no, my life is still so well-rounded. I still go to the gym. I still do this. I still do that. No, every single thing that I did deep down, if I was being honest with myself, was in service of that one relationship. Uh, Other signs, your mood depends on the person that you're dating. The last sign I'm going to list here is you always seem to be on an emotional roller coaster. Like one minute you're on top of the world and the next minute you're in despair wondering if this person still likes you. Now, the ways that you would address this, the remedies If this applies to you, it's very likely that you have anxious attachment or maybe fearful avoidant attachment. There's a lot of anxious attachment patterning in fearful avoidance. So I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but you want to figure out what the root of your anxious patterning is and address that. It could be something like overprotective parents. It could be something like overly enmeshed parents. It could be societal programming that overemphasizes the importance of romantic love. It could be growing up without parents and people that really got you. So you're just constantly looking to fill that void of a person who really understands you. Literally all of those things have applied to me. But once you address those wounds, then you want to start investing more in other areas of your life. But if you try to do the second part without doing the first part, it's going to feel forced and it's not going to be authentic and it's not going to work as well. Okay, the fourth potential reason why your relationships always seem to fail, you grew up amongst chaos. And by chaos, I mean things like maybe your parents fought Maybe there was some kind of messy divorce. Maybe uh, one of your caregivers died or left when you were a child. 
Um, maybe you had parents who you didn't feel either emotionally or physically safe with. Um, I had both of those things. I had a dad who had like very, very, very extreme temper issues. He's actually much calmer now. Um, he really did a lot of work on himself. Now, would I say he's like, you know, water off a duck's back type guy? No, he still has like anger problems, but it's not as bad as it was when I was a child. Just, and he really doesn't have like the types of tools and resources that we have. So I just, the only reason I mentioned that it has nothing to do with this. It's just one of, you know, the 15,000 tangents I'm going to go on in this episode. The reason I mention it is because I do think it's a little bit like in inspirational to see that this like pretty old man who really has like no mental health resources was able to really address his anger in a pretty dramatic way. So like if he can do it, anyone can. Anyway, um, but yeah, I had a dad who would snap very easily and very unpredictably. Like sometimes he would be like wonderful, lovely, like so nice. He's honestly, he really is such a good person. Like my dad is a generous, giving, caring person. There is nothing that my dad cares more about in the entire world than he cares about his children. Nothing, nothing. I could ask him for anything. If he could provide it, he would. Like he really is a good person, but he had very serious anger issues. Him and my mom would fight a lot. He would fight a lot with my brother. Um, and this is when I was young, young. Once I reached like kind of preteen teen years, then a lot of the anger was directed at me, which was traumatic in its own way. But even going before that, when I was largely protected, I had a lot of like survivor's guilt because I'd watch like my mother and my brother be very verbally abused, sometimes physically abused. It was, it was a very hard thing to see. Why did we get on this tangent? Oh, okay. Yeah. So like, that's like an example of parents who you didn't feel physically safe with. Like I really, like I often as a child thought that one day my dad's anger would get so bad that he wouldn't be able to control himself and he would just kill everyone just out of anger. And then he would really regret it. Like I was equally as sad for him because I knew he would, because he would always regret it when he snapped. He just could not control his anger. Um, and I also had parents, both my parents that I didn't feel emotionally safe with, like they were from a very different culture and a different generation. And like, I remember as a child, like I was like very boy crazy, like always, like as a, like, I remember having crushes as far back as I can remember. And my parents were very Middle Eastern and very strict. Like I couldn't come home and be like, I love Omar, but Omar doesn't like me. And this like really weighs heavily on my heart. They would have lost their shit. Like not only would neither of them have expected it, but then my dad would have fucking gotten angry and thrown shit. You know what I mean? So like I didn't have parents that I felt safe with neither emotionally nor physically. Um, another example of chaos is like serious abuse. So we're talking like verbal, physical, sexual abuse. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say more on that because like everyone knows what I mean. Like, I, you know, oftentimes when I talk about childhood trauma, I'm talking about like little T trauma because like anything can be childhood trauma, right? Like the teacher didn't react a certain way when you raised your hand. That's little T trauma. But in this case, I'm talking about like big T trauma and that's what those things are. Now, what happens when you grow up amongst chaos is you're used to having the rug pulled out from under you, like 
for example, like back to my poor dad who really didn't sign up to have his entire life exposed on this podcast, but here we are. Um, like uh, my dad will sometimes be really lovely and sometimes would snap and I never knew what to expect. So sometimes like things would be fine. And then all of a sudden he'd start yelling. Like that is an example of the rug being pulled out from underneath you. And there are many other examples. And so you are so used to that, that subconsciously you're just creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. You generally will find yourself in relationships that have a lot of chaos, a lot of fighting, breaking up, making up uncertainty. Even if you're not the one who's causing the chaos, the trauma will cause your brain to just seek out other people who will cause the chaos. Now, I generally lean towards being the one who caused the chaos, but I also would often seek out people who would cause the chaos themselves too. But you know, she's a feminist, so she believed and she could. Um, Anyway, the remedy for this is like really trauma reprocessing. Personally, I found a lot of success with EMDR and somatic therapy and inner child work. Um, You can check out some of my courses, but honestly, for this type of big T trauma, I would really, really recommend working with someone one-on-one alongside the courses should you choose to do them. The fifth potential reason why your relationships or situationships always seem to fall apart You're clingy, needy, and jealous. Now, this behavior will push away an avoidant person a lot quicker than it'll push away a secure or anxious person, but eventually, even the most secure, stable people will get over it. And the only people who really enjoy jealousy and neediness and clinginess are people who they themselves are clingy, needy, and jealous. And I will say, I used to kind of seek this out. Like I used to, when I was a lot younger, I was like, oh, of course I want a guy who's jealous because like he loves me so much that he just can't bear the thought of me talking to another guy. And like, how wanted will I feel if I flirt a little in front of him and he just rages out with jealousy? But guess what? Like, that shit doesn't come from caring. It's not he loves me so much. No, it's his own unresolved trauma. And once I dated a guy who was very fucking jealous and he would rage the fuck out at me, I got over that real, real quick. And then it became a big thing for me where I was like, I'm not dating tallest dudes anymore. (laughs) Anyway, the remedy here, I'm just going to sound like a broken record, is to figure out what wounds are causing this behavior and address them. It could be that you witnessed infidelity growing up. It could be that you had caretakers who were physically or emotionally absent. It doesn't have to be both of them. It could be one or the other. You could have had parents who were constantly around like mine, but just emotionally were incapable of meeting your needs. Or it could be that you had a parent leave at a young age. Both of those situations will cause that. Um, It could be that you had very overprotective parents. I've talked about this before, but in situations where you were given no independence as a child, the subconscious messaging that you receive is that if you're not with your attachment partner at all times, then there's danger. And when we become adults, our attachment partner is our romantic partner. So then you still have that subconscious programming looping of, oh, if I'm not with 
this person constantly, there is danger. It's not your fault. It's your trauma, but you now have the tools and the resources to address these things. The sixth possible reason you are not communicating. So you're not having the types of conversations about your long-term goals early on. An example of this would be years into the relationship, finding out that one of the two of you doesn't want kids or marriage and the other does. Now, the remedy for this, practice conscious communication. And I want to note the fact that I said practice because you want to start practicing this in your daily life. You don't want to just start communicating when it comes to the really high stakes things. Start communicating your needs in very inconsequential areas. For example, you go to the coffee shop, they give you the wrong order. Be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Or maybe don't even say sorry. Just be like, oh, this isn't what I ordered, right? That's an example of how you can start practicing so that you kind of get a little bit better at it by the time you have to do the more difficult conversations. Now on this, what I really will say is, I really advocate for always doing the subconscious work first, because once you do the subconscious work first, you'll show up a lot more confidently and securely and assertively, like assertive of your needs when you actually have the conversation. Sometimes we don't communicate our needs, our wants, our desires, because we have this deep fear of losing people, right? Like I can't tell you how many times I've been in like early dating situations and people are like, oh, what are you looking for? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm just like an easy go with the flow type of bitch. I'm not an easy go with the flow type of bitch. I want relationships always, always, always. I've never really actually authentically only wanted to like go with the flow ever. Not authentically, maybe I thought I did, but no, deep down, I've always wanted relationships. But I would say shit like that because I was like, well, guys don't actually want relationships. So if I just like pretend to be chill and go with the flow, then like, you know, they'll be locked in. And then if I hold out on having sex with them, then eventually they'll fall in love with me while they're waiting for the sex. And then we'll be in a relationship. That was my literal thought process. I remember communicating this plan to my mom once. And she's like, yes, that's super smart. And... (laughs) That just tells you about where we're at in society. But also my mom up until like kind of recently thought that you pee out of your vagina. So, I mean, you know, this is a woman who's a victim of her circumstances. Anyway, it's very common to like really not be assertive of your needs because you're afraid that they'll push people away. But once you do the subconscious work, you'll actually be able to communicate those a lot more effectively. And the seventh and last reason that I have for us today, you self-sabotage. Now, this really goes hand in hand with the like growing up in chaos. But when you're used to dramatic relationships, secure ones feel very boring. uh, It could be that you're dating people that you don't actually like, 
but you just think those people are safer for you or think it's like the best that you'll find and you don't want to be single anymore. And so then like subconsciously you start picking fights because deep down, you know, you don't want to be with this person, but you're consciously unwilling to see it. It could be just that you're so used to chaos that again, your brain just feels safer with chaos. And so you're creating more chaos, whatever the circumstance is, Here are the things that I would recommend for this. Number one, I want you to find a stable, healthy relationship that you can look up to. So like a role model relationship. Uh, Number two, you want to heal childhood trauma. I mean, it's, it's the shit I keep repeating, but like if there is shit there, like if your parents fought a lot, whatever, you're gonna have to heal that. Number three, um, visualize a childhood that was stable and consistent. Now, when we visualize in a deep meditative state, our brains don't really know the difference between the visualization and it actually happening. So it'll create neural pathways in your brain as though that experience actually happened. So you could rewire your brain into that of someone who has secure attachment. And you really want to figure out where you received the messaging that dating is hard and that it's slim pickings. Now, this is for someone who is holding themselves hostage in a relationship that they don't want to be in, but they're just worried that they're not going to be able to find someone better. That's societal programming where like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard shit like this. I remember when I first moved to New York, one of my best friends was like, oh yeah, you know, dating in New York. And I was like, what? (laughs) You know, but then I hear equally people in small towns be like, well, it's so hard to date here because there aren't as many people like everyone thinks dating where they are is hard. Everyone says dating where they are is hard. But the thing is, like everyone can date wherever they are. Like there's endless opportunities. The only thing in your way is yourself. And the reason you're in your own way is because other people told you you should be because other people at some point fed you the message that dating is hard. So you want to figure that out and undo it. But really the moral of the story, it all kind of goes back to your childhood. It all goes back to just figuring out where these wounds came from and addressing those wounds. Um, Check show notes for more details on that. And I do want to say um, a lot of these seven overlap. Personally, I've had all seven of these apply to me before. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you're like, wait, but like I resonate with number one and three and five, that's totally possible. And often if you're resonating with more than one of these, it's all linked to a common cause. So that's the episode. Um, Thank you so much for listening. This has been a journey. This has been a ride. I know I didn't talk about my tooth thing, but who gives a shit? Now, if you resonate with my belly button thing, please DM me. It's the thing I care most about right now. I just need to know. And maybe we can just pretend that whole thing about counting and adding and subtraction didn't happen because I really, I have no words. Um... Now we're going to do a giveaway this episode. This has never happened like an actual giveaway, but I'm going to experiment with it one week. And if it's an absolute flop, we will never do it again. But here's the deal. If you screenshot this episode, share it in your Instagram stories and tag at 
blush pod so that I can see it. Um, you'll be entered into the giveaway. The winner will get a 50% discount to one of the courses. So enter the giveaway. The courses are really fucking good. <laughs> they're really good, not to brag, but like they're really fucking good. So yeah, please do it. And honestly, even if you don't enter the giveaway, just like do it because it it helps me a lot. <laughs> and you know, yeah, leave a five-star review. You you know the drill, but like I know I say it every week. It really, really does help. If you can just take like 30 seconds to leave a five-star review, it really does help. Um, you know, the number one way that this show has been growing so much is word of mouth. So just share it with people you think would benefit from it. You know, rate, review, subscribe, whatever. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. See you next week for the 96th episode and then just three more after that to 100 or whatever. Oh God, okay, I'm gonna let this go. Okay, bye.